Inside Westminster, Chapter 222, Tantrums and Tiaras Revisited. Prince Rupert, the Duke of Winchester, and sixth in line to the throne of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, still, woke up feeling sick, as was usual these days. His dear wife, the Duchess, had risen hours earlier to beat the day. Whatever that meant. He wasn't sure these days. At first he'd been in awe of her tireless energy and American grifter attitude, but now he wasn't so sure of that either. He'd known for a few days what was coming in the UK press and had been hiding any stray newspapers, but what was on the internet was impossible to censor. And so he wasn't surprised when he heard a loud scream emanating from the poolside yoga studio. He groaned, turned over and wrapped the duck down, 1,000 thread cotton-covered pillow round his spinning head. What to do, what to do was the question always nipping at Teddy's brain these days. Don't do anything, Sassy had counselled, warning, and leave it all to me. And so he had, as he had no words to counter the unquenchable, insatiable appetites of this woman, his wife. His brother, Prince Hubert, had had the decency to phone with a dire warning of the impending storm, saying, she's gone too far, Ted's. You know Gramps has really had enough. So I'm afraid she's given the go-ahead for an internal investigation into your wife's behaviour. Investigation into what exactly? quizzed Teddy nervously. Well, there's rock-solid evidence that your wife bullied and humiliated two senior staffers into leaving, said Prince Hubert as calmly as possible. Yes, but that must have been ages ago, responded Teddy, responded Teddy adding, and anyway, haven't they all signed non-disclosures? Yes, of course they had, said Prince Hubert, but they're willing to put their necks on the line for the sake of our family in general and Gramps and Grandpa in particular. Oh, was all Teddy could muster by way of response. Look, Teddy, counselled his brother, I don't want to interfere, but you really need to get a grip. There's more at stake than your wife's pride or reputation or whatever it is that she claims we've damaged beyond repair. No wonder her family act the way they do, Teddy now thought, and no wonder she's never wanted me anywhere near them. He was beginning to feel he'd been in the biggest he'd been the biggest fool in history and wished more than anything that he could turn back the clock to that wedding of his friend Inky when he was still a carefree bachelor and where he now realized he'd been stalked and squashed by this woman who back then he didn't find in the least bit attractive nor remotely interesting he would never know what the initial attraction had been, apart from the fact that she'd managed to convince him that she offered the only way out of a life of servitude and forelock-tugging, always playing second fiddle to his old brother, Hubert. Well, Sass had exclaimed after the wedding, that's never going to happen. I never play second fiddle to anyone. How had the tables turned? How had he become inveigled in this tangled web of lies and deceit where her truth was nothing more than pointless, perceived and probably unintentional insults? Teddy was beginning to realise that his wife had the ability to twist all innocent gestures, meant as acts of kindness, into something hurtful, monstrous even. 
like the time when they had when they still lived as neighbours. Juliana had suggested that her sweet daughter Louisa should help Sass by using her special brush to calm Sass's hair, as her extensions were becoming unstuck and were in dire need of repair. "'What are you saying?' barked Sass to the even-tempered Jules. "'Oh, nothing. I just thought I was being helpful,' responded Jules. "'Well, you're not,' snapped Sass, adding, "'and my hair is my business.' Jules and Louisa had been duly put in their place, with Louisa asking why her auntie had been so cross. Oh, she's tired, no doubt, was what Jules had offered by way of an excuse for behaviour that had become typical of her sister-in-law. Later that evening over supper, when the children were in bed, Jules had confided in Hubert that she had noticed that Sass had become increasingly demanding of, and indeed rude, to the staff. She actually shouted at one of my assistants for nothing, really, said Jules. You know, I think this arrangement with us all living in the same building and sharing staff isn't working. I'll have a word with Papa tomorrow and see what can be done, retorted her practical husband. I'm sure there's a solution. After all, she's new to this game, so there's bound to be hiccups. And with that, the matter was closed, but both had had an inner feeling that this newcomer was going to be much more of a problem than a mere newcomer. And then, within a few weeks of the wedding, Sass's behaviour really took off. They began to get through personal assistance at an alarming rate. All these courtiers had 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 to sign non-disclosure contracts, so nothing was being allowed to leave the tight inner sanctum of junior royals and their staff. Not even the Queen knew. Or so they had thought. Sass, well, she couldn't give a damn as she saw it as her mission to shake up this old, this out-of-date establishment and bring it screaming and kicking, if necessary, into the 21st century. But they'd underestimated her madge. She had been being briefed almost daily on the rude and irreverent behaviour of that woman. And the intended Winifred Opal's interview, which was expected to be one long, poor us moan, had come to light, having not been given permission to be aired, as that permission had not had never been sought. So rude, the Queen had said to her private secretary, Sir Ivor Acre. Who does she think she is? Well, ma'am, replied the ever-polite senior civil servant, I'm afraid to say you. What? the Queen had exclaimed. What do you mean by that? Well, I actually think she thinks she should be Queen one day, and not our lovely jewels. I can see she's not the sort to live in anyone's shadow, let alone be at the institution's beck and call, said Sir Ivor Acre. But I wouldn't say at the institution's beck and call describes how the monarchy works these days, says her madge, said her madge. I have experience of a woman with a severe personality disorder, as you know, ma'am, he had said. Yes, Ivor, her madge had replied. Yes, I know your own wife. I'm afraid I was remiss in never finding out what happened to Lady Cecilia. Well, dear Cecilia ended up in an institution... It was inevitable, really, as her behaviour became more and more exaggerated and her temper fearsome to behold. She'd gone beyond being a danger to herself and I'd become genuinely concerned for the welfare of our three children. Was it ever diagnosed, queried the Queen? Yes, ma'am, replied Sir Ivor. Histrionic narcissism. Oh, said the elderly monarch. It's pity... They couldn't have waited 
to air this wretched interview till after Prince Frederick's operation. Can't this beastly thing with that opal lady be pulled, postponed at least? queried Sir Ivor. Sir Ivor. In truth, it had started before the wedding, with Sass having a hissy fit about the tiara on offer. Jules had naturally been horrified and, as senior royal, had requested politely, of course, that Sass desist from her tantrum, which, as they were to find out, was a red rag to a bull. <laughs> 